We are in a series called Scammed, and what we've been talking about is uh, the lies, the scams that our culture tells us, that the enemy tells us, that we tell us, and then how to identify them and how to um, push back against some of these scams. And so we talked about the idea that you need to be in control. Uh, we talked about the scam that you need to escape, that if something gets too hard, you just have to comfort your way out of it. Um, Michelle last week talked about the idea that you're not worthy. There's a scam out there that says you're not worthy. If you have this car or if you have this, um, this bank account or this waistline, then you become Worthy, And what she talked about last week, and I'd encourage you to, to listen to it if you uh, get on the podcast, is the idea that God loves you, period. Now, for some of us, that's difficult to hear because there is this narrative, and it's been in um, evangelical things all along, that if I can just get over this one thing, if I could just get better at this, if he'd, lo- he'd love me more. And she talked about Mary, who came into the whole thing as somebody who had no power. Uh, she was a woman, which gave her, again, no value. And she was young. And yet God says, uh, you're highly favored. And so Michelle talked about the idea of being highly favored. So uh, in this series of Scammed, uh, they all stand alone except for these two sermons. These two sermons go uh, together. Because it's really, really important that we understand that we're loved unconditionally. God loves you, period. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. While we were dead in our sins, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't earn it. We didn't get to a place where it's like, okay, I feel like I'm at a place now where I can accept Jesus. Jesus has already accepted you. It's, it just comes to a place of when do you want to hand your life over to that Lord? So what we're going to do is we're going to go over a little bit of um, leadership lesson that we'll get to the Bible, I promise. But in our, my particular leadership context, we talk about this idea of problems to be solved and tensions to be managed. So uh, if you look, I don't know if you can see it, but um, a problem to be solved. We need foosballs. So I'll tell you what that's all about. About a decade ago, so I've been here now in November, it'll be 15 years. So I guess 12 years ago. Um, we had a foosball table and the foosballs kept walking off because children are thieves and horrible individuals. And so, um, no, they just put them in their pocket and they'd end up at home. It, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. So we're in a staff meeting. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about foosballs. Like why do the foosballs keep walking off? And, and then do we buy, <laughs> uh, someplace to lock the foosballs up? And Amazon was fortunately existed at that time. And so while we were talking, I went on Amazon and I bought a thing of foosballs, a hundred foosballs for $8. Problem solved. 
right? You, like, like, we, you, like it's done. You, well, what happens in two years when all those foosballs are gone? You go buy more foosballs. Like easy, right? Um, the carpet's dirty in the church. What do you do? The carpet's dirty. You'd clean the carpet. Problem solved. Uh, be the church is something we would do um, before COVID and uh, the year before. We would just show up at a house. We'd work with the city. It would be all overgrown. It, 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 it needed a paint job. And we would go and we'd get like five dumpsters. We'd clean it all up, paint the thing, problem solved. Those are problems to be solved. Tensions to be managed are totally different. Those are problems that will never be solved. And if you go into a tension to be, I'm going to get to the scriptures, trust me. If you go into a tension to be managed, thinking it's a problem to be solved, you'll just be nothing but frustrated. So um, worship, right? So we just had worship and um, somebody might be sitting out there going, it's too soft. I can't hear it. It's too loud. I don't like it. Uh, it has a guitar. I'm morally opposed to guitars. I, it has what, whatever the thing is that you don't like. And so you can, that's only attention to be managed. You, you can't make worship at a level that everybody goes, that's the perfect sound level. That's the perfect uh, hymns and praise song mix. It's impossible. So you just manage the tension. So you come up with a system that, you know, you have hymns, you have that. You try to just like appease as many people as you can. The sanctuary temperature. I will literally after church, well, first of all, let's just all admit it's too hot in here right now. Okay, so we'll, we'll admit, I think we're all on the same page there, right? So the, the sanctuary temperature. So, you know, I'll literally get done and I'll get an email from two people. It was too hot. It was too cold. Like, okay, fine. That. We were never going to solve that problem, okay? We're just managing the tension. And when you understand that, then, then it takes off a lot of pressure. Homelessness. So we, we deal with a lot of people experiencing homelessness in our, in our context. This is our context. And so you have to figure out. Who's on campus? When are they on campus? Um, we did showers for a while. We actually, when we did our remodel, we actually built a shower so that people could have showers. Well, then how does that work? How many people can be in it? You're just managing attention. So, so right now, our system is e- each of these planters, every single one of them, has electrical. And everyone experiencing homelessness in our neighborhood knows they can come for two hours and charge their cell phones. Um, and so that's just a... That's one of the things. If it doesn't work out or it gets too crazy, then we have to push back. We're just managing attention. So the reason I talk about this is because Michelle did a really good job of talking about we are loved unconditionally, right? I'm going to manage the tension of, but God still has a lot of thoughts about where we're moving forward from there. He does not want us to settle. He has strong words for us in how we live our lives. Does that mean he doesn't love us? I would make the case, and I hope to make the case tonight, that it proves he loves us even more. And so what we're going to be talking about is managing this tension between God's unconditional love and his relentless pursuit to help us become more like Jesus. He's not going to stop doing that. When he chastises us or corrects us, does he love us less? Absolutely not. 
It's actually an indication that he loves us more. But he doesn't just accept where we're at. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So I just have a, I'm going to keep moving as the sun. Soon I'll just be sitting on Roy's lap. And that's, I'm, I'm fine. I'm totally comfortable. I'm totally comfortable. Yeah, put your mask on. Let's go. So, uh, so here's the thing. Every, everyone has an opinion about you. Everyone. You have an opinion about me. You could be sitting here right now going, why is he using managing tensions? Where's the Bible? Does he even know the Bible? Did he go to seminary? Um, everyone has an opinion about you, and you have an opinion about you. And that opinion is a judgment about you that may be right or wrong, but you have no idea. Because only God is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, right? Uh, if you think, well, I can judge my own heart, well, the heart is exceedingly wicked, right? Who can know it? Like, who can even know your own heart? Everyone has an opinion about you, but it's only God's opinion that matters, right? Would we all agree? I think we could all agree on that, um, no matter where we are. And so, so if we think about God's opinion about us, we go to Michelle's sermon, uh, which was completely accurate about, it doesn't matter who you are, God loves you unconditionally. It doesn't doesn't matter where, where you're at in your life. Uh, he loves you. And so you can take that and just go, oh, man, God loves me. I love me. <laughs> it's cool. Everything's cool. And, and you could read some scriptures. I just picked out a scripture from Paul. And you could say, oh, man, this is, I'm going to make this my life verse. This is an actual cool life verse if you don't read the next one. You have to just stick with this one. And it's really awesome. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. Is that a, that, I'm making a t-shirt. That is like, but isn't that the scam that we're in right now? That you can just kind of pick what you want to be, who you want to be, how you want to be, and just kind of, hey, I don't care what anybody thinks. As a matter of fact, we celebrate that. We celebrate people just, hey, just do you, boo, right? That was very terrible. Okay. But we celebrate that. My conscience is clear. In other words, if I, if I come up with something about myself and I do me, it should be celebrated. So, yes, make that your life verse, but include the very next one. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord's opinion about you that matters, and that's it, not your opinion, not anyone else's opinion. It is the Lord who judges me. So what's the scam? The scam is this. Just be yourself. Just be yourself. It's everywhere in our culture, right? And I, I would say, the enemy would say the same thing. Just be yourself. Don't feel bad. Just, just look, this is the way you were created. You do, you do you, right? But it's a scam because just be yourself almost always has to do with the outward appearance. It almost always has to do with, hey, I, I grew a mullet, right? Don't do that. But if you did and you said, I'm just being myself, we'd all go high five. Good for you. Or I got a tattoo, or I dyed my hair, or I shaved side of my head, or I did whatever. And that always seems to be it. So, and and that's, that's fun, 
you know, just be yourself. You know, if you like to wear certain clothes, like do it. And that's okay on the out, outward appearance. But on the inside, do we just be ourselves? It all depends on who we are. So I have a couple pictures. I don't know if you can see them, but um, one is my daughter, Emily, just being herself. She, um, these are three nose rings and three lip piercings when she was, I don't know, nine, ten years old. Um, they're fake, okay? They're fake. And it's joyful, right? It's fun. Like, just be yourself. And, you know, maybe someone will just start dancing. Yeah, like, someone just gets up and start dancing. Please don't do that now. Um, and, and so it's like, oh, just be yourself. That's super fun. Here's Audrey just being herself. Um, this is one of her school pictures. She wanted to be a, a brooding, a brooding student. So um, uh, she was just, she was just messing around. She's just being herself, right? And 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 that's that's kind of the how we how we take it. Like, just be yourself. What could possibly go wrong? But that's the scam. Everything can possibly go wrong. Because if the goal is to just be yourself and your heavenly father is telling you to, it it might be a good idea if you're somebody else, namely Jesus, we might be blind to that or deaf to hear his voice. Again, we could say, I care very little if I'm judged by any of y'all. I don't even judge myself. I just, I'm just going to be myself. My conscience is clear. Very next verse, that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. And we, we look at a verse like, we look at a, 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 a word like judge. Um, we've been trained in our culture not to judge, okay? And rightly so. Because what the Bible says about judging, judge not lest you be judged, is that we're bad at it. We're just, as humans, we're bad at judgment. We're bad at judging. Only the Lord can judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He's the only one. So it's the Lord who judges me. It's the Lord who knows, hey, what you just thought, what you just felt, what, what, what the direction of your life is, it's not going to go well. So how does God judge us. More importantly, how does Jesus, because Jesus loves puppies and babies, and he's happy and he's joyful. He would never judge me, right? All right. Matthew 23, 25 starts off like this. This is Jesus's actual words. Woe to you. And woe to you does not mean, whoa, this is cool. And it also doesn't mean you're being cursed. It's not a curse. It's a a grief. It's a grief. It would almost be like Jesus said, like what I'm seeing right now is not what I want to see. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, now remember, he's talking to religious people right now. You clean the outside. You clean on the outside. I might, I might come up to you and go, man, so-and-so is the nicest person I ever saw. 
I have no idea. That's the outside. Jesus says, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Again, not to get too into it, but I mean, this is what happens when, when, there's a pros- when you're prosperous. You get addicted to greed and self-indulgence. And so that's what he says. You, you, inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. I, I had a, have you ever had a, maybe not because I don't clean dishes very well, but you ever had a bowl and you ate cereal in it, right? So you got your cereal and you clean it, you put it in the dishwasher and you, when it comes out of the dishwasher, you stack it up. And when you pull that bowl out, there's like two tiny pieces of cereal that have just like welded themselves to the side of the bowl. You ever had that? Anything like that? I mean, that's what I do. When Lisa does the dishes, trust me, it's like, oh my gosh, we, yeah, it's very clean. When I do it, I'll get these two little pieces like welded to the side. And so then I have to decide when I have the bowl, like, do I just, like, do I, like, scrape them off? Do I just pour milk in there and like, whatever, it's gone through the dishwasher. It's probably safe. Like you, you make that decide. But the, the first, when you see it, the first thought is, whoa, what, what is that? Like, that's not right. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. I I picked up the bowl. It looked great on the outside, but when I looked inside, something had to change. That's all he's saying. I looked inside, I saw greed and self-indulgence. On the outside for the Pharisees, they looked great. And they did look great. They had robes and they had tassels, which would show how important they were. And they had uh, phylacteries that they put on their head, which is essentially a fanny pack. Um, So I don't know why they did that, but it would have scriptures in it that they had memorized. So the bigger your fanny pack, the better you were right? That's all outward appearance. That's all outside stuff. And Jesus says, ah, we're not, we're not doing that. It's the inside that counts. He says, blind Pharisee. And we could say blind John, blind whoever. First, get the inside done. Get the heart figured out. Then the outside will be clean. So it's like this. I might have a a bunch of bitterness in my heart towards someone. And I see them and I go to a party or whatever and I see them and I say, hey, it's so great to see you. Outside, everything's cool. And my heavenly father is going, oh, no. You got to get the inside done because the outward result's going to be the same. If you get unforgiveness outside of your heart, you're going to show up and go, hey, how you doing? Glad glad to see you. It's the same thing, but you'll be healed. He goes on, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. And so what would happen is you'd bury a, in a cave, you'd bury a family member, They'd cover that up with a stone. And then, kind of like we do today, you drop off flowers, you do whatever. They would go and they'd clean the outside of the tomb. And people would walk by and go, wow, that's a really great person. That's a really great family. That's a really great um, whatever, whatever the judgment is. 
But inside, you're dead. Inside, there's just nothing but death. So I'm going to switch over from the book of Matthew to the book of Max Lucado, um, which isn't an actual. Um, Here's what he says. God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus, which I think is a really cool way to say it, except um, I don't like it. Um, I, I like Max Lucado, um, but I, I wanted to show you something that I didn't, I didn't like about it. God loves you just the way you are, but I'm going to take that out. Not but. God loves you just the way you are. He refuses to leave you that way. It's, it's the part of the love. It's what we do if you're raising children or you're, you're a teacher or you're, uh, you, you work on anyone you love. You love them just the way you are. You refuse to leave them that way. So even though Max Lucado has written 20-something books, I decided to write my own thing um, because that's just what I do. Here's what I say. God loves you, period. We all know that. Michelle did a brilliant job last week of, of making that point. And wants you to be the best Jesus you can. That is sanctification. That is holiness. You become like Jesus. That is our Christian just means little Christ. That's what it means. God loves you and wants you to be the best Jesus you can in your context. So if you're single, the way you Jesus is represented in your life is going to look different than it is going to be in my. I want to be the best Jesus husband I can be. But if you're not married, God has something else in your in your context. Mine's a lot more wordy than his because I, I didn't. He just is a better writer. For your sake. God loves you and wants you to be the best Jesus you can be in your context for your sake. This isn't a health and wealth thing because for your sake and in your context, it doesn't mean your life is going to all of a sudden you become rich or you become healthy. He just wants you to deal with the relationship with his heavenly father. It's the whole abide in me as I abide in my heavenly father. It's just this continuity for your sake and for the sake of those around you. So what Jesus does, and we're going to switch to the Sermon on the Mount, is he, he says, look, the outside, anyone can fake that. Anyone can fake the outside. Okay, there we go. I told you. I'm coming, Roy. I'm coming. Uh, anyone can fake the outside, right, to, to be like Jesus. And so, you know, you can say, oh, my gosh, John is so patient. I, I saw him. He was so patient. Meet me on the freeway. It's a different John. I'm in my car alone, totally different, totally different thing. So what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is he gets truly into this heart, this inside the dish issue. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, which is still frowned upon, just so we're clear. Okay, good. We got that out of the way. But it's like an easy bar, or it should be. In America, apparently it's not an easy bar, but it should be. Don't commit adultery. But I tell you, watch, that, that's an, out, that's an out, outward thing. 
committing adultery. It's an act. But I tell you, sorry, I messed up. If anyone looks at a woman lustfully and has already, has already committed adultery with her in his what? Heart. It's all Jesus is concerned about. Your heart. If you clean the inside of the cup, the out will be cleaned as well. So he just goes to this heart issue. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. How would anyone know? If your right eye caused you to stumble, no one would know. They might think you're the best person in the world. Your outward cup, you might be able to fool everybody into thinking you got your life figured out. Gouge it out. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So I want to talk about hell for just a little bit um, because I want to talk about hell in this particular context of what Jesus is talking about. The Israelites that Jesus was talking to did not have any of the concept of hell that we have now. That is a New Testament Pauline thing, and and we can go into all of the doctrine of hell at some other time. Just so you know, heaven good, hell bad, okay? So just keep that in the back of your mind. Jesus gets you to heaven, okay? So that's the thing. What I want to tell you about is in the context of this particular verse. They would not have known about hell the way we think about it. So Jesus picked a very specific word called Gehenna. And Gehenna for them was a specific place. And so what had happened in this valley was the Israelites had um, began to worship another god, and it got so bad, the Israelites got so out of touch that they began doing human sacrifices uh, in this valley. And the screams of the people, many young children, were the worship for this, for this god, Malak. Okay? And of course, Yahweh, our Heavenly Father, God, um, had to discipline. And so they just decided the whole valley is going to be unclean. We're not going to do it. It's an unclean section. I mean, we just, it's unclean. And so they made it unclean. They threw everything unclean in there. Garbage, unclean animals, anything unclean. And they burned it. That was Gehenna. That's what they would have heard. And so this is, think about this. And I'm going to use an example that is gross. Because I think Jesus did. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into the pit of an outhouse. Right? So, like, as you think about that, you're like, oh, why would you say that? Why would you do that? Because what Jesus, what God knows about us is this. It is useless to try to live a life on our own, to be ourselves. It doesn't work. It's better for you to be able to get rid of anything you need to get rid of in order to be able to live the life, that, uh, the life of Jesus, that Jesus modeled. And here's the life of Jesus. Jesus modeled all the fruits of the Spirit, is what we, we, we call it in the Bible. So Jesus modeled love. 
joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He modeled all those things. And, and what he's saying is, that's the best route. Yes, I love you no matter what. You're great. You have value. But now we're going to move towards holiness. Now we're going to move towards, we call it sanctification. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into Gehenna, your whole body to become unclean, your whole body to be striving for success, for striving for relationships that you have no business being in, striving for um, uh, being complete the way that God didn't design us to be complete. It's better to sacrifice Something like that. And the flip side is true. It's better to obey than sacrifice, the Bible says. He goes on, he talks about divorce and not manipulating people and show forgiveness and showing kindness, loving bad people. And then he continues on. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay? But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Now, this is very interesting because there's a really good chance, as you read through the the Gospels, that every time Jesus preached, there was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law there, mostly to trap him, mostly to write stuff down. This is going in my blog. I don't like this, whatever. And so they go through that whole thing. and, uh, And so Jesus is preaching, and his enemies are actually there, right? Much like Living Spring when I... No, I'm just joking. So, so he's preaching, and I just wonder if he was like, but I tell you, love your... And then he like looks over at the Pharisees, enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. I don't know if he did. I tend to read too much in the Bible often. But why? Why do you do that? Why do you care about, instead of committing adultery, working out your heart issues? What... What's the point? Why do you um, not murder, but not even have anger in your heart towards someone? Why would Jesus take it to this next level? Uh, that's, that's heart issues that only we would know about. O- only I know about who I'm bitter against. Only I know my heart. And even then, I don't know it that well. I need the Holy Spirit to reveal it to me. Why? that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This isn't a salvation thing. It's not like once you get all your ducks in a row and you get your heart worked out, you'll be a child. What this is, is you will then reflect the Father that you've given your life over to serve. Essentially, you become his child. You become more like Jesus. God loves you unconditionally, loves you exactly where you're at. And he wants you to become more like Jesus every day. Goes on, if you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And like, that's something, tax collectors, like we've, that's been like 2,000 years we haven't liked them. So that actually like fits, like even for today. And if you greet only your own people, What are you doing more than others? 
Do not even the pagans do that? So here's the bookend to that God loves you no matter what. That's one bookend. That's one part of the tension, okay? That's one part of, of, of how God views us. Here's the other part of the tension, and it's not a problem to be solved, and we'll probably never solve it. Um, our denomination has a doctrine <laughs> called entire sanctification. And um, the idea is this, is that you can live a life so holy that you get to a place where you do not sin. That's entire sanctification. What, the way we used to do it in our denomination back in the day was I was, um, I was uh, saved in 1977. I was entirely sanctified at 1990. In other words, I arrived. In other words... I'm going to treat sanctification like a problem to be solved. And it's not. It's a tension to be managed. We just kind of don't even talk about that doctrine anymore. It's just kind of like, well, I don't know whoever believed that. That was weird. And so uh, we're working on it. Don't worry about it. But, but that's the whole thing. And, and, but the reason I tell you that is because this next verse is the verse that we, one of the verses we get this from. This idea that we can get to a place where, but it's, it's the tension. It's the bookend. And here it is. It's very sweet, actually. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Is that possible? It hasn't been in my life. Um, and I'm a man of the cloth who went to seminary. I think I should be kind of first in line, but... Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, it's this, look, Jesus, the Trinity, has modeled something for humanity. And Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in him. And there's this idea that, that, that the, with the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that we can get to a place where it's just not the outside of the cup. That there's a deep work that happens in our heart. So, Here's my point as, as, as we kind of wrap it up. Don't be just yourself. Live in your context. Of course, you're a human being. You have value. You've got a certain perspective. You come from a certain family of origin and all that uh, kind of stuff. Be the best Jesus you can be. And I know that sounds a little trite, um, but if we want to know who God is, we just look to Jesus. If we want to know what it means to follow our Heavenly Father. We just look to Jesus. He goes on. He talks about t to the rich young ruler and uh, gives him a really hard word. Like, you got to sell everything. That's, that was his context. There was a guy that asked Jesus where Jesus was staying. And like, can I stay with you? And he says, foxes have holes and birds have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Like, this is serious stuff. There's a guy who was worried about burying his father, and he says, let the dead bury the dead. That was his context. There's a guy that wanted to say goodbye to his family, and he says, if you've set your hand to the plow, don't turn, don't turn around and look back. So my question is this, as the worship band comes up. Is there a heart issue you got going on on the outside nobody knows about? On the outside, it looks clean. On the outside, you've learned how to manipulate people around you. You've learned how to put it aside. 
this might be the time where God is speaking to your heart to say, look, we got to get this inside thing figured out. Then you don't have to worry about faking anything because you got it figured out. So just in recap, God loves you. He wants you to be the best Jesus you can be in your context, for your sake, and for the sake of those around you. Let me pray for us, and Wilson's going to lead us, Wilson and Maya are going to lead us in a final song, and then I'll come back up for the blessing. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you love us unconditionally, that you so loved the world that you came, that you sacrificed, that you did not sin, that you lived 30 years or so with, with the understanding of how important it is to be a child of God, how important it is to be in relationship with your Heavenly Father. And we're also thankful that because you have experienced all of those things, you understand the importance of us becoming more like you. That it can cost us everything, all of our finances. It can cost us our family. It can cost us, um, um, you know, sacrificing things that would feel like we're even sacrificing part of our own body. But it's just so much better to be with you. It's so much better to be like you, to experience firsthand that fruit of the Spirit. And we don't do it to gain value for you, to gain love from you. We do it because you love us and you have modeled this. So we thank you for that. In your precious name, amen. So if you want to uh, stand for the blessing like we do every week, feel free to do that. Now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray you would go and his peace and his love and his joy, that you would become more like him every day this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week.